morning. <laughs> Are you awake now? <laughs> oh, that was wonderful worship. Thank you, folks, so much. Just uh, yeah, we'll we'll talk about that in a minute. But that that's why we come. That that blesses our hearts, right? Nice to see you all. Nice to be with you. Golly day. Um, uh, my presence here this morning uh, with this uh, vote and all that we're going to take after the service has zero significance. <laughs> that, that is to say, uh, Brian had scheduled vacation long before and then we went to schedule this meeting, I mean this, you know, this Sunday with these votes and all, and it kept getting moved and moved and moved and finally it landed on his vacation week. And he said, well, I'm just going to go. <laughs> yes, you should. Listen, yeah, you, you need to bless this man, send him cards of encouragement, email something. I mean, he has invested so much of himself into our congregation for these past, what, year and a half now. So, um, yeah, he, he has, uh, has spent himself. We don't want him to, to burn out. So please, pray for him and pray, pray for Julie that this will be a really refreshing time away for them. How do I clear my throat? <laughs> Without blasting you off the planet. It feels to me <laughs> like we, <laughs> uh, we are in a time of significant chaos. Uh, look at the big, big picture first, internationally. Uh, China is doing some things that are disrupting the equilibrium that had pretty much established between nations. Democracy is under attack in Hong Kong. Uh, Russia and North Korea keep reminding us they have nuclear weapons and they rattle those from time to time. Nearly 80 million people have been forcibly displaced from their homes and are living someplace else. That means the places they were living <laughs> We're in great chaos, and now the places they are living are in great chaos. There's increased tension in the Middle East, and that has the possibility, of course, of pulling much of the world into a global conflict. Uh, in our country, we're dealing with a pandemic, sometimes violent social unrest, extreme political and social polarization, and all this in the middle of a presidential election. In our city, we have protests and counter-protests. And in our church, we've just been through a crisis full of conflict, and it's resulted in the loss of many of our members and our friends, and we're still trying to do church in the midst of this pandemic. It feels a little to me like we're in a jumbo washer or dryer, or maybe we're caught in a wave in the surf, and we're being tossed and tumbled and jumbled around with you know, forces beyond our control, and we hardly know which way is up. That's what it feels like to me. But I also think this chaos all around us presents a necessity and an opportunity for us as a church. First, the necessity. Because so much is changing, it's all the more important for us to figure out who we are, to get our feet on a firm foundation. You know, ha have any of you been, been tossed upside down in a wave in the surf? Some, yeah, okay. It's really important to find the sand. You know, because if you know where the sand is, then you know if you push up from there, you'll get to the air. <laughs> you need to know where the foundation is. So that's, that's really important. So we've needed to stop, reflect, pray, ask God to help us get a clear idea of who we are, what's our purpose as a church, what are our core values, what's our bottom line identity. 
That's really important. But then the situation that we face in this moment of chaos also presents us with tremendous opportunities to set a new direction. Because when things are in flux, when so much is changing, that's a good time to point the ship in a new direction. It's the same ship. We're not changing ships. Okay? But this does give us an opportunity to say, where should we be headed now? What new opportunities for ministry are there? What are new possibilities being presented to us? So who are we and where do we want to go? These are the two questions we've been wrestling with for the past months. The transition team worked on this for over five months, produced this mission and value statement, which has now gone through like 16 drafts with input from transition team, session, staff, lay leaders, and the congregation as a whole. Virtually anybody who wanted to have input into this has had a chance to give input. So this reflects our combined wisdom. And today we're gonna vote on that mission and value statement. So what I wanna do this morning is just sort of set that before us again, before we vote, so we have a real clear idea of what we're saying. There's a question we're gonna vote on after this service, and the question is this. With the transition team, the staff, and the session, am I at least 80% in favor of what's here? the wording and intent of this final draft. We're, we're trying to be realistic here. No, no statement will get 100% agreement from everybody. But, but are you, is, is this pretty much what you want, want to see? You know, is this 80% of what you want to see? We're not gonna quibble over the words, but I'm gonna tell you what we think these were, what I think these were, I sure I hope I get this right. <laughs> There's some slim chance that, that the way I'm gonna interpret this document is different from the way they intended it, but that's too bad. Um, so, so <laughs> are you at least 80% in favor of what I say it means? <laughs> How's that? <laughs> this is an important vote because if we approve it, this is gonna set the course for our church for the foreseeable future, okay? So here's our overall mission. We seek to know and show the enduring truth and love of Jesus Christ by being a disciple-making family for Loveland and the world. When we talk about knowing the truth and love of Jesus, we don't mean an intellectual head knowledge. We mean, in the, in the biblical sense, that experiential knowledge. Like when Paul was praying that the Ephesians would be able to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. So how, how do you know something that surpasses knowledge? Well, it's, it's by experiencing that, not just getting it get the concept in your head, and that's, that's what we want. We want the, the love and the truth of Jesus to be so deeply a part of us that it changes us from the inside out. And, and the way we intend to show his love and truth to the world is by being a disciple-making family for Loveland and the world. We're, we're saying that that's what we want our identity to be. Every church, you've probably been in lots of churches in your life, every church has its own personality, its own identity. We're saying this is who we want to be. Our purpose in life as a congregation is to make disciples. So when we consider, should we do this or that new ministry? When we think about, why does church, Faith Church even exist? When people ask us, what's your church all about? We're going to come back to this. We are a disciple-making family for Loveland and the world. We want to be a family that makes disciples, not an institution, not an organization, not a business, not a company. We're a family. And that word suggests relationships, right? Mutual support, love, encouragement, uh, being there for each other, valuing each other's contributions and so on. And this is not a family that's, that's ingrown and focused just on its own members. This is a family that exists for the sake of people who aren't yet here, for Loveland and the world, to make disciples. So that's, that's what we're saying our identity is, or we want it to be, 
And now let's look at the five values that will shape and determine sort of the personality or the character of this family. There are probably lots of different personalities, characters a, a disciple-making family could have. These five values describe the characteristics we want to have. And as we go through these, I'll point out that in many ways, lots of them are true of us already. They're actual values. And some of them, more, we more aspire. We'd like to see more of that in our life together, okay? So the statement celebrates who we are, and it also calls us forward together to be more than we are for the sake of Loveland and the world. So our first value is we are biblically grounded. We stand on God's truth, in dependence on His Spirit, readings, reading, studying, teaching, and obeying the Bible as our foundation. So I've selected just one verse of many that could have been chosen to go with each of these values. And if you'd like to see more verses that go with these, or you'd just like to sort of soak in this statement a little more, I encourage you to go on the church website, look under this week's communication, and you can find a devotional that my wife Barbie wrote to go with this. So it's really good. It'll help, help sink it into your heart a little bit. So the verse for this value is 2 Timothy 3.16, and this is the, the J.B. Phillips paraphrase. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching the faith, correcting error, resetting the direction of a man's life, and training him in good living. Well, there's no surprise here. <laughs> this is an actual value in our church. <laughs> we believe the Bible's God's word. We believe it's true. That's why we love strong biblical preaching. That's why we are in a shrinking minority of churches that have adult Sunday school. We have home Bible studies and women in the word and on and on. We, we are biblically grounded. This congregation is unusually biblically literate. This paraphrase by J.B. Phillips, for me anyway, clarifies there are four words that say what the Bible is useful for, and I like the way Phillips puts it. The first two have to do with doctrine. Positively, the Bible teaches us truth. Negatively, it corrects us when we believe the wrong things. And then the last two words have to do with our behavior, our practice. Negatively, the Bible can reset our direction when we get off base, and positively, it trains us in the right way to live. Well, I think it's fair to say we aspire to obey. We don't always do what the Bible says, so there's room for growth even in this area, which is really a, a strong area in our church life. We want to be doers of the word, right? Not just hearers. At bottom, we really do want to be confronted by the word of God and, and, and have it change our lives in accordance with it. And we think that only happens through the gracious sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. He, he's the one who convicts us of our sin. He's the one who makes us want to change. He's the one who helps us change as we depend on him. So we're biblically grounded, and our next value is genuine worship. We grow in our devotion to God to exalt and enjoy him with heartfelt adoration. And the verse I chose is a quote from, uh, from Deuteronomy. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. These words in our value sort of flesh out what Jesus said was this first and greatest commandment. We say we're devoted to God, we exalt him, we enjoy him, we adore him with our whole hearts. Now, as, as you might guess, this genuine worship has two dimensions to it. One is our private worship and the other is our corporate worship. It, it's really important that we cultivate a personal relationship with God in which we just 
Love him, worship him, focus on him, listen to his word, listen to what he has to say to us through his word, pray, sing, all the rest. And I think many of us already do this, uh, and there are lots of different ways to do it. This value calls us to grow in this. We, we, we want to do this more and more. Don't give up, keep pressing in. Don't let it get stale, okay? Just growing in our, in our walk with him. And the other dimension of corporate worship, of genuine worship, is corporate worship. Yeah, we, <laughs> one of the main means of grace. This is one of the ways, the God-ordained ways we have of getting more of him in our lives and becoming more like him. We actually do love worshiping together, don't we? That's an actual value here. <laughs> the coronavirus has gotten in the way of it. It's still getting in the way of it with our masks and distance and all of that. And, it, and it, we don't like that. We miss what we had. We want it back. By the way, are you praying for an end to the virus? Are you praying specifically for the researchers who are working on a vaccine? It'd be a good, good idea. <clears throat> yeah. So we're, we're biblically grounded. Our, we want genuine worship. These are high values for us. And our third value is transforming community. We mentor and care for one another by age groups, by families, and intergenerationally to reach our full potential in Christ. Hebrews 10.24 says, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. This is the value in the middle here, and in some ways it's the hinge uh, on which all the others depend. If we are to become a disciple-making family for Loveland in the world, we must first become a community that transforms the members of this community by discipling, mentoring, and caring for one another. We need all hands on deck. We need absolutely everybody to help us truly know God, be grounded in his word, deepen our devotion to him, serve him with, with uh, servant hearts, and engage the world. This value, becoming a transforming community, is the key to all the rest. This is at the heart of what it means to be a disciple-making family. So I'm gonna spend a little more time on this one. Hebrews 10.24 says, let us consider, means we should consider. <laughs> we should give some thought to this. We have to pay attention to how we're mentoring and caring for each other. We can't let it happen randomly or haphazardly because maybe it won't happen at all. We need to be intentional about this. And spur one another on translates a really strong Greek word that means to incite or provoke or motivate somebody to do something in a really forceful way. Yeah, so we need to, be, need to think about how we're going to do that. And, and this happens, Hebrews says, with one another. It's a mutual mentoring and caring and provoking and inciting. <laughs> and the end result is more love and good deeds, which is part of what we mean by reaching our full potential in Christ. I recently found a great definition of what this kind of transformation means, what it looks like, a guy named Robert Mulholland Jr. So I'm gonna use his definition, and I think you'll see how this fits nicely here. This means that the family, this disciple-making family, this transforming community, helps each of us in a process of being formed into the image of Christ for the sake of others. It's a process. I do so wish we could just sprinkle pixie dust on each of us and we'd be instantly transformed into Christ-likeness, but it doesn't happen. <laughs> it's, a, it's a lifelong, sometimes painful process, right? Three steps forward, two steps back, but it's a process, yeah, of being formed, transformed, changed. I'll talk more about that in a second. 
into what? From, from what we are now into more of the image of Christ so that our lives reflect more and more of him. And this is not for our own benefit, though we will certainly benefit. It's for the sake of others. Well, in this church, we actually do care for one another. I have so many examples of, of how this happens. Uh, years ago, there was a family that was uh, broken up by severe trauma, uh, left a single mom and four kids, and, and one of the ladies in our church just jumped in and gave herself to that family for months thereafter, taking them to appointments, providing meals, uh, soliciting help from other uh, church members. It was awesome to behold. I, I know another woman in our church who has invested hundreds of hours into a lady who was uh, emotionally distraught, suicidal when she came to us. Now she's healthy, both emo emotionally and spiritually. I've been asked to launder money from one member to another. Just pass it on anonymously, okay? I, I, I wash all the identity off the money and then I give, <laughs> I give it to them. I got tons of stories like this. We could do better at mentoring, at intentionally coming alongside, uh, you know, life on life kind of stuff. But, but there's a lot of this going on here. But our aspiration is to do this in three areas of our church, by families. We recognize the value of nuclear families, which are really the building blocks of a healthy society and a healthy church. That's where caring and mentoring begins. That's where it's most effective. So parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles and cousins and older brothers and sisters, you have an indispensable role to play if the next generation is going to grow up to achieve their full potential in Christ. And secondly, our church family consists of various age groups each with their own special needs and their, their own special contributions to make. So we have children's ministry and youth ministry and seniors ministry, and we would dearly love to have a young marriage ministry again like we used to. We already do some things that mix our generations, like Women in the Word, men's and women's retreats, some worship services. We think there's great value to be had by getting generations together in meaningful relationships. Younger folks have a lot to teach us seniors about what in the world is going on in the world? And how can we understand it? And how can we talk to younger people? And we older folks have a lot to teach younger folks about life lessons we've learned along the way. So our goal is to be a community, a transforming community that helps transform each person in the community, in the church, so that we can each reach our full potential in Christ. Now when I read that, I thought, yeah, full potential. Be all I can be. That's great. And then I thought... Wait a minute. Somebody's gone from preaching to meddling here. <laughs> I don't think I like this word transform because that implies change, and change is hard. <laughs> when I was younger, I thought I wanted to change. Maybe I did then. Now, what I really want to do is coast. I've spent a lifetime building up spiritual inertia, becoming a mature Christian. And now I just want that inertia to carry me to the finish line. I just want to ride the wave into the shore. You can nod to yourself if you're identifying with what I'm saying. <laughs> oh my goodness. I'm not an athlete, but I know that no athlete at any level ever reached their full potential without a lot of discipline, hard work, pain, <laughs> blood, sweat, and tears. You know, and that's not very attractive to me right now, but that's what it takes 
if I'm going to be transformed. You know another thing this word transforming suggests that I'm not crazy about? Accountability. Now when I'm the parent, I'm all for accountability. (laughs) But when I'm in a mutual mentoring, discipling relationship like this is talking about, I really don't want my friends to hold me accountable. I really don't. What I want is what I think most of our small groups and Sunday school classes here provide. They are warm and comfortable. They provide great emotional and spiritual support and encouragement. But rather than helping to transform us into Christ's likeness or helping us to achieve our full potential, they more often become enabling groups which make it comfortable for us to stay in the same place while receiving their prayers and sympathy when we don't change. At least that's what the small groups I led were like because we didn't have very much accountability. We say, oh, pray for me that I'll do this or that this week. I see something here in the scripture that that speaks to me. I know I need to do that. It's gonna be hard. Pray that I'll do that. And the next week, we come back together and most of them have forgotten that I asked them to pray for that. And the ones who do ask, I say, oh yeah, that. And nobody says, well Jim, how are you gonna make sure you obey this week? A transforming community will hold one another accountable in love. This process of transforming broken, sinful, selfish people into people whose lives reflect the the character of Christ is what the Bible describes as iron sharpening iron and it inevitably involves a great deal of rubbing and friction and heat and sparks and conflict. Who in the world would want that? Well, only those who are in love with Jesus, only those who want to know and show the love of Christ, only those who are biblically grounded, only those who exalt and enjoy God, only those who are engaging their world. No, we have to be about something much bigger than ourselves if we're going to become a transforming community that becomes more and more like Jesus. A transforming community, that's the key. Our next value is serving together. As we work to become this transforming community, it will take everybody serving together. We partner as a team, ministering with the attitude of servants in all we do. Jesus called his disciples together and said, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. Even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Yeah, this... Our value is captured well in this passage where Jesus puts the focus on our attitude. There are all sorts of bad motives for wanting to serve in the church. Wanting to be noticed because we think we're great. We have something to offer. Wanting to be noticed because we think we're terrible and we desperately need people's affirmation. Wanting to show off our abilities. Wanting to have power and influence. That's why people get on boards and committees. All sorts of bad reasons to do this. What we're saying here is that we are all one team, everybody in the church, and all of us together are partners with the other out of a sincere desire to promote the common good and serve one another. And I think, by and large, this is the attitude in our church. We can always do better at all these things, but I'm constantly running into people whose attitude is, what do you need? How can I help you? Can I serve you in some way? It's beautiful to see. I've seen this demonstrated beautifully in the staff during these last months during the COVID crisis. I mean, people have have taken on lots of new responsibilities that were not in their job description. 
<laughs> in order to help the whole happen. It's been beautiful. And uh, Barbie tells me that was very much the attitude of the, the uh, transition team as they labored for five long months. Uh, Becky and Jacqueline in the office and many volunteers still serving. And their attitude is, I want to help. I want to serve. Keep after it. Let's keep it up. We partner as a team, ministering with the attitude of servants in all we do. And our last value is engaging our world. We engage our neighbors, the underserved around us, and the nations, sharing the truth of the gospel with love in action. After the resurrection, Jesus came to his disciples and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I commanded you. And surely I am with you always, to the very end of the age. So this is the Great Commission, as you know, and it's the, the biblical basis for our wording that we want to be a disciple-making family for Loveland and the world. And we say, when we say this is for the sake of Loveland and the world, that means first our neighbors, the people who live near us, who are like us, and maybe our relatives who live in the area. And it also means the underserved around us. Well, who's that? Well, that's homeless people and mentally ill people, and sometimes those are the two are the same, and incapacitated seniors and folks who are just getting out of incarceration who have no way to get forward in life, and the poor. And we are serving some of these populations in our area. Lago Vista Mobile Home Park has a tremendous ministry among folks whose economic situation is generally less than ours. The ministry of Room for Hope helps folks who are getting out of incarceration. Uh, some of our people have been serving meals at the community kitchen for decades. Okay? But still, I would say as a whole, for our church as a whole, this is still an aspiration that we as a body would be engaged in the world, in our neighbors and the underserved around us. We, we need to do better here. Our mission statement says we want to be a disciple-making family for the world, and that's why this value includes the nations. And our church is big on missions. Oh my goodness, praise God for that. This is one of the, the, the greatest positive distinctives of our church. We currently support 31 missionary families and singles with an unusually large percentage of our budget. It's a good thing. So that's who we want to engage, right? Our neighbors, the underserved, and the nations. What does it say we want to do with them? Well, we're sharing the truth of the gospel with love in action. I think most of us would would agree to this, we'd give lip service to this, this combination. We want people to know the love of God, we want people to know the truth of God. But in practice, I think many of us are much more concerned to tell people the truth of God, especially about their sin, than we are to show people the love of God regardless of their sin. Huh? But friends, friends, the fact is, people really don't care how much you know about how to be saved or anything else for that matter, before they know, until they know how much you care about them as individuals. They don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. It's unconditional, agape love expressed in concrete actions, not just well-wishing, not just thoughts and prayers. It's that kind of love in action that will earn us the right to be heard, that will, will cause people to want to hear what we have to say. Now eventually, Eventually, we have to get to the gospel. We have to talk about it because nobody was ever saved just by being loved well by a Christian. We have to explain some things to them. But first, we have to love them. 
<laughs> whether they're interested or indifferent or hostile. There's a book title that says, Love Anyway. <laughs> Just love anyway. <coughs> Sorry. <clears throat> there are two main commands in this Great Commission that explain what it means to be a disciple-making family. The first one is baptizing, baptizing people. This is a shorthand way of saying all the stuff that, that leads up to when a person can be baptized, when they publicly acknowledge their faith in Christ. And, and it's sometimes a very long journey from wherever they are now to that point, but that's what's involved in baptizing them. So when we're talking about being about making disciples, the, the very first thing we're talking about is people who aren't in the church, people who don't know the Lord. You know, we have to engage with them, and that, that requires relationships and time and emotional involvement. It's messy because people's lives are messy. And historically, our church hasn't been so great at this, except in the children's and youth departments. But we adults have a lot of growing to do in this area that we would engage with people's lives. Our neighbors and the underserved. Notice in this regard, Jesus says, go. The gospel command is to us, go. It's not to them saying, come. <laughs> when I was in seminary, I had a professor who said, you know, Jesus taught, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And some people, when they hear that, they envision getting this big barrel, setting it up on the bank, fill it up with water, get a megaphone, call out over the water. The barrel is open the barrel is open, and expect the fish to jump into the barrel. <laughs> well, over the last 25 or 30 years, some really big churches have operated just this way. They've put on great performances, worthy of rock concert uh, billing, and, and it has attracted non-believers. But many observers of the American church scene think this attractional model is dead. Evangelical has become a dirty word in our culture. Most non-Christians think the church is either irrelevant or positively evil. And our worship services are really not intended to attract non-believers. They're intended to feed the sheep. So we have to go. We have to go where people are, into our neighborhoods and into the neighborhoods where we don't usually go to serve the underserved. We are going to the nations by supporting so many missionaries, and we are going on short-term mission trips. How many of you have been on a short-term mission trip ever in your life? Uh-huh, yeah, good. Well, we, broke my heart. We had three great trips planned this year that we had to cancel. Uh, well, we'll get back to it eventually. <laughs> May it be soon. Uh, but we, we hope to put on lots, to, to offer lots of different short-term trips, different kinds of trips, so that it would uh, apply to many different types of folks in our church. The second major part of the Great Commission is teaching them to obey all that Jesus commanded us. And now we're talking about people in the church, people who identify as, as believers, parts of God's family, and we'll, we want them to grow up to maturity. And that takes us back to being a transforming community that helps us all grow up to our full potential. So here I'd say we are really good. We are really good at teaching one another all that Jesus commanded. Not quite as good at teaching one another to obey all that Jesus commanded. So it's, it's a whole lot easier to memorize a scripture like this Great Commission. H how many of you have memorized this, this passage? Sure you have, yeah. yeah. It's a lot easier to memorize this than it is to obey it. Right? <laughs> but, so, so I know this stuff. <laughs> I've taught and preached this stuff, but, but it's a lot harder to obey it. 
So that's why we need one another, right? That's why we need to become this transforming community. That's why we need to be this family that helps us all grow up to maturity in Christ. So let's look at the mission statement again, the overall mission here. We seek to know and show the enduring truth and love of Jesus Christ. Yeah. Give, me that, give me that mission, mission statement, last slide. Can we see the last slide? There it is, yeah. We, need to, we seek to know and show the enduring truth and love of Jesus Christ by being a disciple-making family for Loveland and the world. Uh, I hope you can see that's partly who we are already, and I pray to God that's who we become more fully in the future. Let's pray. So Father, we wanna thank you for your blessings. Over the past almost 36 years of this church's life, you have blessed us incredibly in so many different ways. Um, God, we're grateful. Uh, grateful for who you've made us. Grateful for all the things you've, you've done for us and in us and through us. And we believe, Lord, that you've done that not for our own sakes, but that we might be a blessing to love and in the world. So we pray that you'd help us to become what, what we've set out here, that this would truly become the, the heartbeat of this church, that we might be a blessing to Loveland and the world for the sake of your glory. This is not about us. It's about you. In your name we pray, amen.